Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare. A medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine, he is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right, well, welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. As always, it's a pleasure to have you here at the clinic where we talk about our spiritual health, our mental health, and our physical health. But before we get started, let's go ahead and pray the Angelus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke and we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, folks. Well, today's show is going to be an important one. Why? Because we're actually going to be talking about each other, shall we say. What do I mean by that? We're going to be talking about saints. Who are your favorite saints? Why is it important to talk about saints? And really, more than anything else, what's our deal? What's, why do we pray to saints? So, you know, a lot of times our, our uh, Christian brethren say, you, why do you guys pray to you, your idolaters? You have, you know, statues of, of people in your churches. You, you know, the, these are the saints and you, you worship them. Um, and really you should only be worshiping Jesus, right? You should only be worshiping God. But then why do you put all these pictures up? Why do you have all these saints up? Um, you know, what, what's going on? Where's, where's your faith? Where's your mentality? And the reality is, as Catholics, we venerate the saints. We don't worship the saints. That's the first thing to consider. Why? Because the saints are people just like you and me. There's no difference there. Um, and people might say, well, Dr. Samuel, what are you talking about? Of course, there's a difference. They're saints. Well, yeah, they've been declared saints by the church. That's the biggest difference. I'm sure that there are many saints out there who have not been known publicly and the church hasn't declared, has not brought them to the altar, if you will, um, because we don't know about them. But saints are just like you and me. Why do, would I say that? Because all it is, is they're human beings on this planet. God gave us all existence. And what's the difference between a saint and myself? I guess the real question is, how much do we desire Jesus? How much do we desire to be in heaven? How much have we turned our hearts away from this world to be in hopefully a state of grace 
and to only be thinking of heaven and to only be thinking of heavenly things, of eternal things, and not worry about what this world thinks, about how much money I have or don't have, about, you know, any titles or prizes or, you know, am I in that place? Am I in a place where I have decided, you know what, this world isn't, isn't it for me because I believe that there's another world out there. I believe that I want to be with Jesus. I believe that there's a higher calling for each of us. And really my heart is only for God. That's what it comes down to. That's it. When you look at the lives of the saints, that's what it comes down to. A lot of times we think of the saints and I can understand why people on the outside say you worship saints. Cause all of a sudden we hear about a saint and we're like, Oh my gosh, that saint. Oh, if I, I could never be like that. No, that's the wrong mentality to have. It's more like, well, if they did it, how am I going to do it? Because we've got all the same tools. We have the same uh, sacraments available to us. We have the same faith available to us as far as our catechism, our Bible, uh, our canon law. All, it's, it's the exact same for any, anybody who's been declared a saint versus not. The question is, am I willing to use these tools? And am I willing to see how God is going to work through my life when I use these tools? Because the other thing we've got to remember is we romanticize the saints a lot. We automatically assume, or when we hear their names, we think, oh, you know, they, they're holy, they're, they're all walking on water, you know, and, and we don't always think about it was a rough life for them because once we make that decision in our hearts to say, I'm going to follow Christ and I'm going to do what God wants of me, I'm going to follow my mission that God is presenting before me, there's going to be a lot of roadblocks. And the funniest part is that the roadblocks might not even come from uh, the people we expect, like we think, oh yeah, people who aren't Catholic, they're going to, you know, talk poorly about me, but I'm always going to have my church to fall back on. Not always the case. Sometimes when we are on that road to saintliness, to sainthood, sometimes it's our very, we feel rejected by our very own church. We got to remember what happened to Christ. It was, it was his own people who betrayed him, right? It was the, 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 um, the Pharisees and, and the, the elders who were saying he needs to be put to the cross. He needs to be crucified. It can easily feel this way. But then at the, at the end of the day, the bottom line is, where's my relationship with God? Am I willing to let all that go by the wayside and put my eyes of faith on, keep following the faith the way I know I'm supposed to, and not worry if I'm being treated poorly or if I'm made to feel like I'm not important? Am I willing to do that? It's a great question, and it's a question that each person can only answer individually. I can't answer that for anybody. But let's look at some of the lives of saints so that we can kind of get an idea um, as to what, you know, do we have a favorite saint? Is there a saint that we look up to that we think, gosh, this would be a good saint to look up to, to live, formulate my life after? I think one of them is St. Paul, you know, St. Paul of Tarsus, right? His name was Saul before, uh, Saul of Tarsus. I I love looking at the story of St. Paul, mostly because I think that it really reflects uh, or we can all glean something from it. We can relate to it in many ways. This is what this article, I got a few articles on saints that I'm going to put up here on the site. So you can just kind of, you know, peruse through them, look at different saints and hopefully glean some inspiration. But Paul, St. Paul, Paul, Saul of Tarsus, this is what this article says about him. Saul of Tarsus was a zealous Jew who also had Roman citizenship because of the place of his birth. A member of the Pharisees, Saul considered Christians to be an extreme danger to Judaism. He saw them as more than heretics. They were blasphemers for considering Jesus to be the Son of God. There we go. That's the first part. Once you start considering Jesus to be the Son of God, well, problems are going to come, right? Because why? Because if we're going to be on our road to sainthood, 
we have to recognize Jesus as the Son of God. That's that's the first part. My road to sainthood is going to be I want to make it to heaven. How am I going to make it to heaven? Uh, I've got to I've got to take that first step, and that first step is saying Jesus is the Son of God, which means it has big implications. If we're going to be saints, and I say Jesus is the Son of God, it means that I can no longer think for myself, and it means that I got to follow Christ to the fullest. How do I follow Christ to the fullest? Well, you know, there's a lot of people will say, I go to this church or that church or whatnot. I got to hit the or the original readings. I got to hit the original books. I got to go back to where it all started. I want to start reading the original text of the Bible. I want to start getting that original meaning because the further away we get from the person, things start to become legend. And I don't want to follow the legend. I don't want to follow what people say or who people say Jesus was. I want to look at immediately the people who were around Jesus, what Jesus said and did, I got to hit, I got to get to the Bible. I got to hit those books. And that's the first thing I need to recognize why, uh, or what's going to happen once I do that. It's going to, it might be a problem. Some people might not see it that way or might think that you're being too holy or something along those lines. St. Paul, who, as we know, was a super saint. We read his epistles all the time, big time books of the, of the gospel. He started off hating Christians. Why? He saw them as heretics. They were blasphemers for considering Jesus to be the son of God. Okay, that was huge. What else does it say about St. Paul? He was commissioned by the Sanhedrin, who was the religious authority in Jerusalem, to hunt down, expose, and when necessary, eliminate Christians to preserve the Hebrew religion. That's a big one. What's happening here? You, you decide that you're going to follow Jesus in your heart. All of a sudden, there's going to be a target on you. This is where this is what we got to look for. Do I really want to be a saint? Am I that committed? I'm not going to make it to heaven otherwise. To hunt down, so he was commissioned by the religious authority to hunt down, expose, and when necessary, eliminate Christians. We know what that means. We're going to we're going to kill Christians to preserve the Hebrew religion in the name of religion, in the name of God. He he was commissioned to do this. It says, however, things change dramatically, however, and the world has never been the same since. Why? Because one day he was going where? He was going to Damascus and he was thrown down to the ground and a voice called out, Saul, Saul, Saul why do you persecute me? This comes from the book of Acts chapter 9, verse 4. The, boy, the voice belonged to Jesus of Nazareth, who had already died, risen, and ascended to heaven. Saul realized that he had been persecuting Christ by persecuting those who believed in Christ. Opposing the followers of Jesus was, in essence, opposing Jesus himself. That's the key. This is one of the reasons I like to relate to the story of St. Paul. Not just because I like to see what St. Paul did and how he came out of being, shall we say, a grave sinner if he's persecuting and killing people um, in the name of the Hebrew religion. But more than that, what I really like about reading about St. Paul is that it helps me see how does Christ think. And that's really the bottom line when we're looking at the lives of saints. I'm not so much worried about the life of the saint. Yes, of course, I like to know who the person is. It's amazing to see some of these miracles that were worked through through the saint, but that's the key. It was work. The miracles were worked through the saint. The saint themselves didn't do it. They'll tell you, I, I don't have any power. I didn't do any of this. When we recognize who God is, we recognize the power of Christ. We start to recognize that I have no power to do anything. It's Jesus actually doing it all. It's just I've allowed him to work through me in some way because I've conditioned my heart. I've humbled myself to be uh, uh, just a vessel, a tool that Christ can use. That's going to be important. When we come back from the break, I want to read this again. Um, Because the voice of Christ, what Christ says to the saints 
the way that he reveals himself to the saints is really what I want to focus on. This is the whole important part about looking at a saint and thinking, why do I want to be a saint? How do I want Christ to work in my life? More when we come back from the break. All right, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. Here today we are talking about saints and how can we get on the road to sainthood? What is it that we are doing? We use the saints as examples, um, you know, as brothers and sisters, shall we say, who kind of made it. It's kind of like having a relative who knows how to run a good race and we want to train for it as well. I know St. Paul always tells us uh, that we got to run the marathon. He ran the good race and it's a marathon. I love the fact that he uses a marathon and not a sprint because it's a continual long race and you got to pace yourself. You got to know how to pace yourself. And really it's a journey. You know, it, it, are we going to continue on this journey towards sainthood? If we shy away from it, boy, that's going to be a tough one because there's no way to make it into heaven without being declared a saint, whether it be here on earth and you brought to the altar at St. Peter's or whether you're brought to the altar up in heaven. There's, there's no way of getting around it. If we're going to make it in through the doors of heaven, there's got to be some level of sacrifice and some level of sacrifice because we desire God. It's not just, it's not just suffering. We've got to turn into sacrifice. We've got to offer up our sufferings to Christ. When we were right before the break, we were reading about St. Paul. I love the story of St. Paul. I love, I love the story of St. Paul because it tells me so much, um, not just about who St. Paul is, you know, we see his, his fury and his, his, uh, uh, anger, shall we say, turned into a righteous anger, uh, from being angry at the Christians. And we're going to see here how that got turned into him being one of the strongest voices in favor of Christ, but because it really tells me a lot about who Jesus is. I think that if we're reading the lives of the saints and all we're doing is thinking of the saint and we're not thinking about what is Jesus doing here? <clears throat> We're going to miss the bigger picture. I got to look at what is Jesus doing in the lives of the saints so that I can stop to think, what is Jesus doing in my life? Now, we can easily fall into that trap of thinking Jesus is really working in my life and I'm important and I'm a saint and I have all these gifts and all these things. And then all of a sudden we fall into the sin of pride. And the sin of pride makes us think that all of a sudden I can judge people around me as not being quite as holy or as not doing this. And I start giving my opinion about people and that's very dangerous. You know, gosh, that person, I've heard that they're having trouble in their life. I don't know why, what, who makes me the person who can say that? What gives me that authority, you know, to talk about other people? I got to stop and I got to stop, start thinking about my own life and about what am I doing right? You know, I'm not worried about what other people are doing. And in fact, saints are very aware of their mission. But let's keep reading about St. Paul here. And let me tell you why he's one of my favorite saints. So again, well, right before the break, we were talking about how he was on the road to Damascus and he was thrown down on the ground. He was thrown off his horse, right? Is what we're told on his way to Damascus. And Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? All right, let's learn about Jesus here. Let's learn a little bit about Jesus and see what's going to happen to us as well once we start to follow Christ or once Christ reveals himself to us. First of all, calls him by his name. Jesus knows who he is. Jesus knows who we are. We can't hide from Jesus. It doesn't matter where we are. You could think, well, Saul, you know, he's supposedly coming from Jerusalem. He lives in Jerusalem um, and he's on his way to Damascus. You know, nowadays we can say, yeah, easily everybody can track you. There's GPS uh, systems. There's you know, everybody can track you on your cell phones or whatnot. So it's not hard to get away from people. But 
what if all of a sudden you were camping and you were like, no, I'm going to go camping. I'm going to go and find, uh, you know, a recluse place somewhere. I, somewhere nobody's going to find me. I'm going to be all alone. Well, St. Paul was on this lonely road uh, going from Jerusalem to, to uh, Damascus. And this voice who knows him appears, right? It's a voice. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then here's the other thing that I love. This is what I love this story. Jesus asks him a question. He doesn't tell him, you know, you're a bad man. He's asking him, why are you persecuting me? He's, Jesus is going to come to us with questions. He, he wants us to come with the answers, right? But he tells him a lot. He gives him a lot of answers in that question. Why do you persecute me? Remember, what was Paul's mission at that point? St. Paul's mission, he had been commissioned by the Sanhedrin, by the religious authority. So he thought that he was commissioned by God because under the religious authority, right? He's thinking this is for God to hunt down and expose and eliminate Christians. And Jesus appears to him and says, no, why are you persecuting me? Reveals himself as a couple things. One, he reveals himself as he is the church and he, he believes and he sees us as part of him. He believes and he sees us as part of him. That's huge. We need to start thinking that because if I'm going to be a saint, who am I in God's eyes? I'm nothing. I'm a sinner. That's the way I got to recognize myself. I got to humble myself enough to recognize that I'm a sinner and I have failed and I have sinned in God's eyes. But then how does God see me? Why is that important? Because when I come before the throne of God, when I'm faced with God, I got to remember that the reason that this hurts, the reason that this hurts Jesus is because he sees us as part of him. He sees us as his body. Why do you persecute me? Right, that was the joy, the voice of Jesus, the voice belonging to Jesus of Nazareth, um, and he had already died, risen, and ascended to heaven. He was no longer around. He had already ascended to heaven. Paul, it doesn't say that Paul saw him. It says that he only heard him. Now, remember, when it comes to our senses, if we're going to start being saints and thinking about being saints, when it comes to our senses, we can ex- we can uh, experience things in different ways. Did Saint Paul see Christ? Christ was revealed to him. He could see him. If you ask somebody who's blind, who's lost their eyesight, can you still see? What are they going to tell you? We might think, well, that's an obvious question, Dr. Sandoval. They can't see. They don't have eyes. They don't have eyesight. It's it's impossible for them to see. And yet, if you ask somebody, they're going to say, no, I actually can see a lot of things, but not the way you're thinking, Not, not with my eyes. Yes, I cannot see the physical world around me, but I can see things, which means I can understand. Things are revealed to me, such as, are you a nice person? I can tell by the tone of your voice. I can tell by how you move, how quickly you walk away, how slowly you walk away. I'm paying attention to so many more things that I can see, that I can understand internally without having my eyes. That's the important part to consider because a lot of people argue, well, St. Paul actually never saw Jesus. However, let's look at the next paragraph because this is why I say the senses are connected and we got to understand this. If we're going to be saints, we have to experience Christ fully. Um, the next paragraph says, blinded by the event, Saul continued from Jerusalem to Damascus, but not to persecute the Christians, rather to join them. God turned an enemy into his greatest ally. He now called himself Paul and began to preach the gospel widely in the ancient world. He made three journeys to Greece and Asia Minor before his final journey to Rome as a prisoner of Caesar. Now, this is important. I love this part. Why do I like this part? Because sometimes we try to understand God with our knowledge, with our understanding of the world. But really, this is what makes me think, no, I can really see things in a different way. St. Paul, remember, heard the voice of Jesus. And then what happened to him afterwards? He was blinded. 
Well, what does hearing the voice of Jesus have to do with being blind? Again, comes back to the blind man. Jesus, uh, St. Paul was blinded. He was blinded by this event. He couldn't see things anymore, shall we say, or did he have to start to see things differently? Was he blinded to his old way of thinking? We say that he was blinded, but maybe God gave him a different set of eyes. This is where I want to be blinded. If I'm going to be a saint, this story is telling me I have to see things differently. I need to be blinded to what I know, and I need to focus on the mission of Christ. This is really our way to sainthood. This is important to consider. It's important to understand. It's important to think about. I can't think the way I think. I need to think the way Jesus thinks. St. Paul hears a voice, and he goes blind. That's pretty intense. He goes blind. Our senses are connected. You know, some of the great theologians say that with the fall of man, um, the senses fell apart as well. And that's why we say, oh, we have five senses. And they say, no, actually, when you get to heaven, when, we, when we're when we revealed in our new bodies, when we get to our Lord, when we get glorified again in Christ, we're, we're not going to need that. We're just going to have one sense. It's kind of like we talk about the angels who the angels understand everything just by looking at it, just by being in this presence, just by focusing their mental energy on it. They understand anything about it. They understand how it smells, how it looks, how it feels. I think that that's what's going to happen to us as well. Our senses are going to be united as one again, and we're going to have a full understanding of things. This is why St. Paul, in the presence of Christ, all of a sudden he is brought up into part of that glory, if you will, because all of a sudden we're in the presence of glory. His senses are united. He hears the voice of Christ, but yet he is blinded. And we can see that as a weakness or we can see that as, wow, he got the gift of blindness. I see it as a gift. If God blinds me, I need to see that as a gift. I can't be like, God, why did you blind me? This is terrible. No, because that means that I'm relying on my senses or my way of thinking. But if I'm blinded like Christ, if I'm on my way to sainthood and some things are blocked, some things are turned, things aren't happening the way I understand them, I have to stop and turn and think, God, why are you allowing this to happen for me? Why is this happening in a way? How is this supposed to help me? I know that if you love me and you see me as yourself, because Jesus said, why do you persecute me? You see me as a part of you. Then anything bad that, that I perceive to be bad, I should say, anything that's happened to me on this world, so long as I'm trying to follow your path, is for the better and for my good. I need to start thinking that way. I need to get knocked off my horse in order to think that way. The article goes on to say, being a Roman citizen, he was exempt from death by crucifixion. Unlike St. Peter, who was crucified upside down in Rome, <clears throat> the emperor had Paul executed by the sword. He was beheaded uh, around 67 CE or the common era, we should say AD. Um, both St. Peter and St. Paul are considered co-patron saints of the city of Rome, where they were both martyred which I think that's such a powerful story with St. Paul. Um, the last thing to consider here in St. Paul, as we are going through sainthood, so the first thing I said is, you know, we think we're doing the right thing. St. Paul thought he was doing the right thing. He was commissioned by the Sanhedrin. We think we're on our way doing what's, what's uh, good because we were commissioned by our Lord. And we, and, uh, we think, gosh, I'm going to be a saint because uh, or whatever it is I'm doing in my life, I think I'm doing it right. But then at the same time, when we are faced with Christ, we might realize our mission was a little bit different. Are we ready to listen to Christ? And are we ready to listen to the voice of Christ? And if we are, are we ready to accept that things might change in a way that we might not expect, that we might be blinded to something and we might have to change our trajectory in life 100%? Because St. Paul, and not only that, <clears throat> given our new mission, 
we might end up with a new name, which means what? We're a new person. I can't be the person I was before. I have to be a new person. That's what happened at St. Paul. He went from being Saul of Tarsus to Paul, right? Why? Because all of a sudden he had the mission to preach the gospel. He no longer had the mission to kill Christians. And in fact, he was killed for being a Christian. That's where we got to be. I got to be ready to say, well, I might have to be martyred in the name of Jesus Christ. And I'll take that because I think that I have to have enough faith in God that if things aren't going right in my life, I need to slow down. I need to listen to the voice of God so that I can be blinded, so that I can't see things the way I think I'm supposed to see them. And all of a sudden see them through the eyes of Christ. I think that's what happened to St. Paul. Very powerful story of a saint. I love, I love that story. St. Peter, we just talked about St. Paul and we finished by recognizing that St. Paul and St. Peter are the co-patron saints of Rome. They were both martyred. They knew each other. St. Paul actually talked to St. Peter and corrected him in some ways in for, you know, in a fraternal way, in a loving way with fraternal charity. Um, but let's talk about St. Peter and why is he an important saint? Let's read what this article has to say. St. Peter, he was the brother of Andrew and the son of Jonah. St. Peter was originally called Simon. Again, let's look at that. We got a, cha- a name change. We got a name change. Paul went from Saul to Paul. St. Peter went from Simon to Peter. The name changes along with your mission. He was a fisherman by trade. Biblical scholars believe that Peter was married because the gospel speaks of the cure of his mother-in-law. Pretty good uh, indication that he was married. But whether he was a widower at the time that he met Jesus, no one knows for sure. We're going to read more about St. Peter and why he is such an important saint to think about on our own saintly journey. More when we come back from the break. All right, well, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. And today we are talking about sainthood. And where are we on our journey to sainthood? How can we get there? And do we have a favorite saint? Do we have an important saint? I'm just reading off a couple of my favorite saints. And uh, I'm reading off some big names here because uh, when it comes to the saints, um, the the big ones are more recognized and it's easier to relate to, I think, uh, by our listeners as well, as well as by myself. I mean, it's, it's easier because we hear more stories and we understand it. I also like little saints, shall we say, I don't mean little because all saints are huge. Uh, when we, when you start getting the title of sainthood, it tells me that you've allowed Christ to work in your life in a very big way, um, that I'm hoping I can get to as well. Um, but sometimes it's good to read the lives of saints that are lesser known, um, because we can glean a lot. And remember, whenever I read the lives of the saints, it's not about the saint themselves. It's about what did they do that they allowed Christ to work in their life? What did they do that they allowed Jesus to say, hey, you know what? You're going to help me continue my mission on earth. That's the important part. We Before the break, we were talking about, well, earlier in the show, we were talking about St. Paul and his conversion to Christ. And right before the break, we were talking about St. Peter, both St. Peter and Paul, patrons of the city of Rome, uh, very important titles there, both of them martyred for Christ. It's very important to talk about St. Peter as the first Pope, um, because we got to look at where he came from, humble beginnings, if you will. He was a fisherman. We know that he was living with his mother-in-law, uh, and we know that he was commissioned by Christ right away, and he had to have a lot of faith to say, okay, I'm going to leave everything and follow this man. We know of the time when Jesus called them to ministry as he was 
uh, fishing, could not find fish all night, came back in with their boats, and Christ told them, go back out there and put those, those nets back out into the lake and just do it on the other side of the boat. And he's thinking, well, it's, a, it's the same lake. What does it matter what side of the boat I put it on? But he had enough faith. He did it. And of course, the catch was bountiful because of that bountiful catch. It changed their hearts, changed their minds, and let them see what Christ was capable of. Let's keep reading about St. Peter here. Um, there's a few different things that are important about St. Peter <clears throat> in terms of, according to the Bible, it says, Andrew introduced Peter to Jesus and told his brother, we have found the Messiah. And initially, Jesus, Peter hesitated to follow Jesus full-time, but then Jesus came to him and said, I will make you fishers of men. St. Peter has a, a rich uh, story in the Bible, being that he was following Christ. Christ commissioned him to be the first pope. And of course, we know with St. Peter, we always stop and we look at the fact that when Jesus was going to be crucified at the Last Supper, he was very eager and he said, I will die. I will go to the cross with you. I will die with you. I will never leave you. And Jesus challenged him and said, no, actually before the cock crows, before that rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. Um, and St. Peter's like, no, that'll never happen. We've got to remember in our saintly journey, that's one of the things about St. Peter, uh, that it's great to be eager. It's great to be eager. Uh, we see that when he said that to Christ and told him, no, I, of course I'm going to die with you. We also saw that before in the transfiguration where Jesus transfigured uh, before three of his apostles, St. Peter being one of them. And St. Peter was the first one to speak up, letting him know, you are the son of God. We should build some tents here. Uh, Jesus had just told him, wow, you are, you know, God is revealing things to you. You are, the only reason you know that I am the son of God is because that has to come through my father. You will be the first Pope. St. Peter wasn't afraid to speak up and that's wonderful. I think that that's great. And I think we need that kind of fire in our own lives to speak up, to tell Christ, I believe who you are. And, and to have that sense of, gosh, I will never betray you. Why would I betray you? Uh, I think we need to have that sense at the same time, we can't have so such a huge level of pride to think that I, I am immune to sin. And I think that that's the hard part. I think that was the lesson for St. Peter that we can all fall into sin. Even the greatest of saints will deny Christ, you know, in that moment. But the question is, what are we going to do following that? So it's a classic story of St. Peter, of course, denies Christ three times. And as the story goes, he cried and cried. And then when he met Christ again uh, on the shore, when Christ was preparing fish after his resurrection, St. Peter comes up to him and Christ challenges him and says, do you love me? And he asked him three times. And St. Peter found that to be heavy because of course the do you love me three times was making up for you denied me three times. That was heavy for St. Peter, but St. Peter did not stop at that. He did not say, well, Jesus, you're throwing that in my face or what's going on. He understood. And he said, I forgive you for all the times you've denied me for all your sins. It's really what Jesus was telling him. Do you love me? Which means I want, because I love you. I haven't stopped loving you despite of your sins. It's important to consider that on our own journeys because we can easily be weighed down by our sins. And it's easy to focus on that part. But one of the things that I like to focus on with St. Peter, the reason I find him so interesting, and really all the apostles interesting, the apostles who were fishermen, I asked myself, remember I said, when I follow the lives of saints, I like to see how does Jesus think? Well, one, we see the big story of forgiveness. Just like I said, Jesus forgave Peter for denying him three times. But there's a bigger story here, I think, that I like to stop and think about, because Jesus could have picked anybody. He could have said, well, I need this person to be the apostles or, or whatnot. And he did. He picked from a variety, right? We know St. Matthew was uh, a tax collector, so he picked a tax collector to be one of his apostles. But one of the things that I find interesting is, why did he pick fishermen? 
of all people. Why fishermen? I mean, Jesus was a carpenter. Why didn't he get some carpenter buddies and say, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm forming this new club. It's going to be called the Catholic Church, and I need you guys to help me form that. No, he picked fishermen. And I was thinking, what about fishermen? Why fishermen? What, what was he saying? And he tells them, I will make you fishers of men. So he compares fishermen to fishers of men. All right, well, let's back up a little bit. If I'm going to put on a little bit of a thinking hat, if I'm going to think like a Catholic, why pick a fisherman? What does a fisherman do? <clears throat> a fisherman, obviously, well, it's a little too obvious, right? It's a redundant question. What does a fisherman do? He fishes. He goes out and he looks for fish. Why is that important? Why would that be important? Why would Jesus pick fishermen? If I were to form something, if I needed to, uh, if I had a mission I had to accomplish, I would try to pick particular personalities, if you will. And now I'm thinking like a psychiatrist, right? What personalities would I put together to accomplish my mission? I don't know if anybody ever saw or heard about the uh, hockey team of 1980, the USA hockey team that beat the Russian hockey team. And that was a big deal in the Olympics because, you know, who's going to beat the Russians, right? Especially at hockey, a game that, uh, you know, in the U.S., of course, it has some popularity, but not in, not as much as in other countries. <clears throat> but all of a sudden you see the story and you see a story of a, a coach who picked a bunch of different men who had different personalities and he didn't necessarily pick them on their hockey skills. Yeah, they had to have some knowledge of hockey, but he picked them on their personalities and lo and behold, they could come together as a team and beat what seemed to be an undefeatable team. I think in the same way, I got to think about Christ. What team did he assemble? Who did he put together? Who did he pick? He picked fishermen and he tells him, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Why is this important? Because I think a fisherman has to have a lot of faith and has to be able to see things differently from what's presented in the world around him. Why do I say that? We saw the story of St. Paul. We saw that St. Paul had to change. We looked at how his senses were affected. He heard the voice of Christ and he was blinded. Interesting to see that there's that connection. And he was blinded because he had to see things in a new way. I think with fishermen, they have to have a lot of faith because they have to be able to look out at an ocean that you can't look through and believe that there's fish there to catch. They have to understand something about the waters. They have to understand where they're navigating to catch catch fish that you can't see. So they have to use a different sense, if you will. They have to understand the tides. They have to understand the signs of the time to understand where the good catch is. I think that that's what's very powerful about this. Obviously, we can relate that to priests and we can say, well, sure, <clears throat> priests are going to have to understand people. They're going to have to understand who people are. They're going to have to look below the surface of the person. I think I, I see that a lot as a psychiatrist. I can't just take things at face value. Somebody comes into my office. I have to try to get to know the person and see what's below the surface to help them out, to see what they're going to need, to see how they're best going to be addressed and helped. That's important. That's huge. There's no other, there's no other way around that. Um, because if I just take things at face value, if I don't look below the surface of the ocean, I'm not going to catch what I need. I think that's what Jesus said by, I will make you fishers of men. You have these skills. You have to be able to navigate troubled waters. You have to be able to multitask and do different things while you are on your journey. And your journey and your mission as a fisherman is to catch fish. But the reality is, if I'm going to make you fishers of men, and now your goal is to catch men, you have to look below the surface while you navigate the waters of men. You have to understand how people think in order for you to preach my mission. I think it's the same message Jesus is giving us if we're going to be saints, if we're going to go on our way to sainthood. I got to think like a fisherman. God wants me to be a fisher of men. How? Directly? Well, maybe, but 
sometimes just in my own life. I have to be able to navigate certain waters. I have to know where I'm moving my ship and I have to trust not to just to put my nets down where I think there's going to be a big catch, but where Jesus is going to think that there's a big catch and I might not see one. This happens to us a lot. Why God, why did you put me in this position in life? Why am I in this job? This is not for me. Why did you, you know, all of a sudden people need to move sometimes or go somewhere to a different country. They need or their, their job is telling them to go to a different place. And we think, no, that's not the way I was planning to go. That's not where I was headed. I was headed to Damascus. Jesus might knock us off of our horse and we might hear his voice and he might tell us like St. Peter, you got to be a fisher of men, which means that you don't see what's happening right now. But in reality, I have a mission for you and you're going to work for me here. And that's why I'm sending you to this place. It might not make sense. It might be dry. It might not be where you think you're headed, but let me guide you. And I need you to trust me and put your net down when you think that there's nothing to catch. That's really the hard part of being a saint. Because remember, a lot of times we don't see Christ. We don't, we're not able to feel the presence of Christ. We might not be able to know where Christ is, if you will. I don't see you. I don't know where, I, where you are, Lord. Sometimes I don't feel God. Uh, you know, I talk to my sister who is a nun and she tells me, yeah, sometimes it feels like there's months without God. And, uh, you know, and you're thinking, gosh, people who are either nuns or priests, they must be in the presence of God 100% of the time. And they'll tell you, they'll be the first to tell you, you know, I know what my mission is. If I'm a priest, maybe I'm going to go offer the mass. I'm going to listen to confessions. And I just feel like, what's this, all this for? Your stories of St. Mother Teresa, who would say to her confessor, where is God? I don't feel God. But she continued with her mission. I think that's really what St. Peter uh, makes me think of, that he had to, you know, he had to wonder where, I, I really don't know what's happening here. I know that this man uh, has some answers and I know that he can make things happen. So I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to follow him blindly because as a fisherman, I know that there's things that I can catch that I can't see. I think that that's where our story lies there with St. Peter, or hopefully what I think of in my heart where I'm like, I need to be changing my senses. I need to be blinded and I need to look at the bottom of the ocean. I need to look through what's dark to find the catch that Jesus wants. And ultimately I need to try to trust that Jesus put me in the right place to do the fishing for him. More when we come back from the break. All right. Well, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. And as always, I am your host, Dr. Luis Sandoval. Today, we are talking about our road to sainthood, our road to saintliness. And I'm bringing up three saints who I think just kind of make me think a lot about how does Christ think and what is Jesus doing in our lives? Bringing up big names of saints so that they're recognizable to all of our uh, listeners. And hopefully we can do a follow-up show of less commonly known saints, because there are a lot of saints. I mean, if you look at, at the history of the church, if you look at the, the lives of saints, um, there are a lot of saints that we don't hear about. And there's the big ones that we always hear about that we continually hear about, because why why do we continually hear, hear about them? I think it's because they have such a rich history and so many things that are pertinent in their lives that we can relate to in ours. So we've talked about St. Paul and his conversion. We talked about St. Peter and his conversion. Remember, why do I say conversion? Because we always have to have a conversion towards Christ. We, I, I would hate to assume that I wake up and I'm already on, on the right path all the time. I have to remind myself, I better wake up a little bit and, and make sure that I'm converting to Christ every day um, and 
making sure that my heart is in that position uh, to be open to Christ and his mission for me. I don't know what name he would call me. Um, I'm sure that if he were to talk to me, my name would change. And I'd say, oh, that's my mission. That's my new mission. You know, we see that St. Paul went from Saint, uh, uh, from Saul to Paul. And we see that Peter uh, went from Simon to Peter. It's just what happens. Our, our, our names change. Well, we see that also for the popes, right? Don't we get a new name as, as they are popes, just like St. Peter was the first pope and got a new name? My third saint is Pope St. John Paul II, the Great. Um, why do I like Pope St. John Paul II, the Great? Because if I look at St. Paul and St. Peter, yes, I can think of them as saints, but I, f I can easily fall into that trap of their historical figures and I can make them larger than life and I can make them these superheroes and I can easily fall into the trap that I can never attain that. You know, how could I get there? There, there, there were these people in the past who, who there's no people like that anymore. I got to think about people from before in order to be a saint. But Pope St. John Paul II, the great, really what I love about that is that he was a modern day saint. It reminds me that we we can't stop now. A lot of people could say, "Well, sure, you could pick Saint uh, Mother Teresa." Sure, I knew about her too in the news, but I was I picked Saint John Paul II for a reason. Uh, it keeps with the theme of what we're talking about. Let's see what this article says about him. It says Pope Saint Pope John Paul II, a highly visible Catholic of the modern era, was the two hundred and sixty fourth Pope and the first non Italian Pope in more than four hundred and fifty years. Now, this is what I like. He had a different name, right? He was born Carol Joseph Wojtyla on May 18, 1920 in Wadowitz, Poland, the son of Carol Wojtyla and Emilia Karaskowa. His mother died nine years after his birth, followed by his brother, Edmund Wojtyla, a doctor, in 1932, and then his father, a non-commissioned army officer in 1941. It sure sounds like a lonely place. It sounds like as he's growing up, Everybody seems to be passing away. His family is leaving him. Everybody's passing away. Does not look good. Let's keep reading. So, well, actually, this article kind of skips, right? Because uh, it, it skips a lot of, of his life. What we've got to remember about uh, Pope John Paul II, before he became Pope, his family's passing away. He's left alone. He was taking care of his dad. He actually really enjoyed philosophy and he enjoyed theater in his life. And he thought he was going to be a theater major. He thought he was going to do plays and that's what he was going to do with his life. But then what came about, what happened was World War II. And when he saw World War II and he saw what was happening and he saw the need for priests and for following God, that's where he felt he got his calling is to follow God. The important thing for me with that, with him is in his life, he could have easily given up. He could have easily said, ah, eh, I'm done. You know, his brother passed away. His mother passed away. And I don't know if too many people know this, but he was actually in the concentration camps. He was in a quarry, uh, not in the in the concentration camps where you're thinking that people are going to die, but he was actually in, in mining rock um, in the concentration camps. And he came out of that and he never lost his faith. Now, those are opportunities in life. I should opportunity. I should say situations in life where we have the opportunity to either keep our faith in God or very easily and understandably feel like we are all alone and that there is no God helping us out. But he didn't do that. He he was more he had greater conviction to follow God in so much so that he decided he was going to be a priest. He didn't know what that was going to lead him to pope. He just knew that he wanted to follow God in his daily life at the level that he could and that meant going to an underground seminary of all things and to become a priest. Now, why do I find hopeful hope in that in my own life? Obviously, I'm not necessarily in, in, in a situation where there's war around me or anything like that. But a lot of times we forget, we think that 
God's going to do something with our lives that's going to be great. And we have to go somewhere. We have to do something big. And we forget that it's everything's right around us. Everything's right around Everything that we need, God put right around us. St. Francis de Saul used to say, bloom where you are planted, which means that wherever you are, that is where God is working in your life. And if you can see that, just follow his will, follow what he thinks what you think he wants you to do right in your area, right in your place. And God will, God will make that happen. Then God will make great things happen. You don't even have to worry about great things happening. God will come to you. And so that's the important part. That's the important part to remember. A lot of times people feel like, Oh, I need to go on this pilgrimage. I need to go on this journey. I need to go to this meeting. I need to meet the president of something. I need to go and, and visit the Pope and I need to do all these great things in order for me to be great. Well, we've got to remember, even when there's a war-torn country, even if you find yourself in a, in a concentration camp, even if you find yourself you know, with your family completely uh, uh, dying around you, God is still working, and you don't have to do much. You can be in your place and see, how can I serve God here and now? I think that's what Pope uh, John Paul II reminds me of in his youth as he's, as he's growing up, to not get so disturbed in my heart, not get so flustered and think that I'm not doing what I need to do, but to slow down and say, well, God, this is where you have me right now. How are you working in my life? The article goes on to talk about once uh, Pope John Paul II, so before he became Pope, but he was a priest, he became a bishop, and then he became a cardinal. And so it goes on to talk about, at the time, Pope Paul VI was the Pope, but he died August 1978, right? And his successor was Albino Luciani, and he was took the name of John Paul the First. Now, Pope John Paul the Second here first is Carol Wojtyla. You know he's hanging out. He's with the cardinal. He's with the College of Cardinals. He's there at the elections. Pope John Paul the Sixth dies. Who's elected? Now it's Pope John Paul the First. He's probably not thinking that he's going to be Pope anytime soon. He might not. He's, he's probably thinking, gosh, I'll never be Pope or anything like that. Who knows what he was thinking? But we have a different Pope that has been called to the chair of Peter. Uh, he was elected, but he only lived a month. He only lived a month. And then lo and behold, all of a sudden, Carol Wojtyla is elected the Bishop of Rome and takes the name John Paul II. Not even he didn't even take the name of the first of anything. He decided, well, I'll just he humbled and humbly took the said, I'm going to be John Paul II because John Paul I was just in office. It's interesting um, because this makes me think in our lives that we never know what's going to happen. We can't assume. We can't assume that just because, oh, this person took office or this person got that better job. You know, we might be looking for a a different job position or we might be looking for something to move forward in life, which is fine to do, um, which is good to do. We have opportunities that God presents before us. If we're not doing it out of pride or out of envy or anything along those lines, it's wonderful to have the opportunity to use our talents, to use the talents that God gave us. But a lot of times we can easily be disheartened and think, Hey, God's not going to use me for anything big. Look, that other person just got that job. Look, that other person drives a nicer car. Look, that other person. And we're always looking to the other person. I shouldn't say always, but I think for myself here, sometimes I look at other people and think, gosh, how come they're, they're there? What's going on that? I got to humble myself, right? After a while, you got to say, eh, God's working in my life. And Pope John Paul II reminds me that we just never know. We can assume that, well, look at that, that person uh, became the president of the company and so, and gosh, we really don't like him and he's really bringing down these rules or she got into that position and she's really hard on everybody. Well, that's how it is from now on. We never know what God has in store. They might be transferred. They might go to a different place. We just have to assume 
have to have faith that God is working in us and that he still has a mission for each of us that we have to be fishers of men because we can't see things, right? Pope John Paul II could not have seen that Pope John Paul I was going to pass away. He couldn't have seen that. He just had to show up and do his job and think, okay, this is where God needs me right now. And I think that one of the things that I really like about him is what he exemplified. So let's look at this. So he became the Pope. Once he became Pope, he, I got to say, he made the most of it. You know, I can't think of, of any other Pope after him or before him um, who did, did as much to be so visible and to, and to really reach out to the people. Let's look at what Pope St. John Paul II did. He wrote 84 encyclicals, um, well, combined encyclical exhortations, letters, and instructions to the Catholic world. He beatified 1,338 people. He canonized 482 saints, and he created 232 cardinals. He traveled 721,052 miles, the equivalent of 31 trips around the globe. During these journeys, he visited 129 countries and 876 cities. While home in Rome, he spoke to more than 17.6 million people at weekly Wednesday audiences. Now, why do I mention that? Because I say, you know, we don't have to do much. We got to, we got to, be saints right where we're planted, as St. Francis of Sal tells us, right? We bloom where we're planted. We don't have to go out and do much. But once we're given the opportunity, we have to take it. If we find that God puts us in a position um, where we can have influence in the Catholic world, we have to take it. We have to we have to make the most of it. And I think that that's what St. Saint John Paul II reminds me of. Uh, he reminds me that if you're in a position where you can do something, you better make the most of it. You better uh, have something to show for it. Um, he was out there. There was no question about it, how visible he was, how much he traveled. I remember at one point he was asked, you know, gosh, aren't you going to rest? You need to rest. And he would say, I'll rest when I get to heaven. I'll rest after I die, right? That's right now I need to work. And that was so important. It, it reminds me that the, our journey's not done. We can't get complacent. We need to look at what is the next part of our mission that's going to be important, that's gonna, that I'm going to be able to get to the pearly gates and say, look, Lord, this is what I what I chose to do. I don't know if it was right or not. You know, just like St. Joan of Arc uh, would say, I don't know if I'm in the state of grace, but if I'm not, may God get me there. And if I am, may God keep me there. And I say, gosh, I don't know if I'm constantly in the state of grace, but I'm going to keep looking for God. I'm going to rely on God to keep me there so that I can continue to work towards his mission. I don't know if I did everything you need to, needed me to do, Lord, of my mission, but I'm going to try my hardest, and I hope that you would keep me there. That's what St. Pope John Paul II reminds me of. He worked so diligently and so hard. The other thing as a doctor that I really admired him of was once he started getting older and once he started his health started to fail and he was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, he didn't stop. He didn't stop. He did what he could. He wanted to be with the people. He wanted to bring Christ to the people. That's why he traveled so much. That's where all the letters came from, you know, and he also didn't say, okay, I'm getting old and tired. Go ahead and give me that last bit of medication so I can just go to sleep uh, peacefully. You could tell that he was not necessarily in the most of healthy places, but he was still there working. It's got to remind me, hey, if I'm going to be a saint, it's going to come at a price and I got to keep working at it, even if I feel like it's impossible. So St. Paul, St. Peter, St. Pope John Paul II, I thank you guys, and I hope that I can glean from you what does Jesus want for me to do in terms of listening to him and in terms of how do I want to lead my life as a saint. Until next time, this is Dr. Sandoval saying, keep it Catholic.